what is your go-to when you're hungry? Um, I'm not often hungry, like, like truly hungry, but I, I never have a problem with eating. I don't know if anybody is with me on that. Like I, have, I, I don't have an issue like being able to fit that in. Uh, so for me, my go-to, it all depends on kind of what mood or phase I'm in in life, I, I, I guess. But late night snack for me is chips and salsa. Anybody, anybody there? Uh, chips and salsa, late night snack. Some uh, kids like, like popcorn at, at night. I, every once in a while I have to be in the mood for that. Um, but I never really have a, have a hard time finding, uh, finding something, something to eat. If I forget to eat lunch or something like that, I normally break down and, and go through a drive-thru, get something, you know, make it large, you know, all the things you're not supposed to do. Um, I've, uh, I don't know if I should admit this or not, but I've even maybe sometime allegedly uh, had a gas station chicken salad sandwich <laughs> on occasion. Anybody done that? Brave, brave like that? Gas station hot dog or something, something like that. I've definitely... Definitely been there in my lowest of lows. <laughs> now, if it's a special occasion, you know, if we know uh, anniversary, birthday, or something like that, maybe we're going out for, you know, a special birthday dinner or something, I, I'll intentionally not eat uh, and, and so go and, and get the nice steak or something like that so I can fit all that, that good food in. Every once in a while, though, I get stuck. I don't know something like that is going to happen. Somebody invites me out, you know, surprise or something like that, and I've eaten like half a bag of Doritos that afternoon, and so that's, that's never a good idea. Uh, you don't want to have, you don't want to be without that appetite, right, to enjoy that steak. I mean, I, I just like food. I just like food in general. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be fancy. I love, so here, I hadn't planned on sharing this, but I like food like I like macaroni and cheese and cheesecake. And what I say when I mean that is, when I say I like macaroni and cheese, I mean, I like Easy Mac all the way through the most gourmet, like delicious homemade mac and cheese you can eat. Cheesecake, uh, no-baked jello cheesecake, pro tip, uh, mini chocolate chips and mix a little bit in with, with that and it just bumps up a notch, makes it a little bit fancier, it's amazing. All the way through gourmet, you know, like New York style cheesecake, uh, Cheesecake Factory, you know, those kind, kinds of things. So I, I like it all. I, I don't like beets, so I, I, don't, I don't eat those. I don't know, maybe some of you are like, oh, beets are amazing. I just haven't, haven't, gotten, a, I haven't gotten a taste for it. I mean, I watch shows about food we don't get the Food Network, but on Netflix, one of my favorite shows is called Chef's Table. If anybody watched that, it's amazing. It's like many documentaries about these chefs and their relationship with food and their intentionality behind it. And they have these like three-star Michelin restaurants. It's incredible, and it makes me hungry every single time and makes me want to go to restaurants I can't afford to eat at. Um, so, you know, I watch that on occasion. It's just an impressive thing to appreciate the intentionality, you know, for something that most of us take so much for granted. Because like I said earlier, most of us in here, we've never really actually been hungry in our lives. When we are hungry, we get something to eat. You know, food is right there. We just reach out and grab it. We have the luxury of shopping for different brands of the same food at different brands of grocery stores. Um, and even though you and I know intellectually that we're incredibly privileged in this regard, I mean, think about being able to just go online, order a whole shopping cart worth of groceries, pull up to the store, open the back. You don't even have to get out of your car. Back door gets open for you, you deliver, you know, your groceries get loaded up in your trunk for you. When other people have to grow, hunt, and forage for their food and their first, for their survival, uh, to know what it's like to actually be hungry and how that affects your outlook on life and what it means to be happy and blessed by God is a wholly different perspective from m- most of us ever have had. I mean, I, I, like I said before, I, I don't think I've ever been in a position to know what it's like to actually be, hung, be hungry. I've fasted before, so I know it's like to feel hungry during, during a fast. 
Um, I've had my blood sugar get low before, uh, but to not know where my next meal is going to come from or food to be scarce, that's something that I've really only observed. So as a church, I love the fact that we get to partner with Reap Granada, who does feeding programs. Uh, a couple weekends ago, we worked with uh, Moments of Hope, and we did a feeding program for those experiencing uh, homelessness. We worked with Fresh Start. Uh, Sylvia, who directs Fresh Start, is always putting groceries together for single moms and their kids. Um, it's amazing. And since we're created for good works, as Scripture says, it's great to be a part of a small way in which God blesses others. So when Jesus teaches this next beatitude, it helps to give a little bit of understanding of what his audience were thinking and feeling. So that's what we're talking about being hungry, because in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And this metaphor of hungering and thirsting would have been pretty poignant for his audience, because they would have known more acutely than we do what it means to deal with hunger. There was no middle class in Jesus' day. There were, there were a few that had very much, and most everyone else were at or below the poverty level. Pretty much living day to day, all members of the family needed husband, wife, kids, everybody, grandparents, everybody was needed to, uh, to make a sustainable living. And when that's the case, you have to be pretty intentional about what your energy is put toward, what you're focusing on in your life. But most of us don't have to worry about that. A couple of examples that kind of put some things in perspective of how life could be. My wife, Renee, has been reading through all the Little House on the Prairie books, which she's finished, and she was telling me about this one part. And we've been watching the show as a family, too. We're not quite through all of them. I think there's like 500 seasons, um, and they're all like an hour and a half long. Um, the pacing on older shows is very different from the pacing of today. Uh, but she was talking about how, you know, one of the things that struck her is that Laura and her, her siblings went over to somebody's birthday party and how amazed they were when they got home because they were given a piece of fruit as a party favor and that they had never had an entire orange for themselves in their life. Did you stop and think about that and the, the impact that would have on your life if you had that same experience in your life? Food affects us as children. You know, how are families fixed meals, whether or not we ate together? Did you have to eat your vegetables? Did your parents fix you something different from what everybody else, you know, got to eat? Did you get the snack all the time on junk food? Did your parents, you know, give you ice cream after every meal if you clean your plate? Like, like me, I like ice cream, by the way. <laughs> I'm sure that was, that was taught and developed. Um, you know, it's not just our health on the line, but it's also our habits and perspectives with our relationship to what we hunger for. For most of us, hunger doesn't require much from us because we have resources readily available, like an arm's reach. And because of whatever is within reach is more than what we need, we don't have to think about the consequences too much. For example, one of the things that the research bears out when it comes, comes to food and our appetites, what we hunger for, is that those are developed primarily socially. A lot of us think, oh, it's my taste buds and, and those kinds of things, that, but, but it's actually like what we learn and what we're taught as kids, how we see other people react to food, what we're fed, all of those kinds of things come and affect our perspective. You know, you travel outside of the U.S., for example, and you're going to find much more exotic, uh, to us, cuisines. And so our sense of normal, healthy, beneficial can shift based on what we're used to, what we've developed an appetite for, based on our life experience. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what is the the best for us and what's going to enable us to be most healthy. And so when Jesus is talking about this blessing, he's talking obviously about a different type of hunger and thirst than physical 
food and drink. He's talking about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But the, the metaphor, the metaphor is poignant. It works well. It's almost like Jesus knew what he, just, he was doing when he was teaching, uh, when he was talking about this. Because he's talking about what it's like to yearn for things. And the way that blessing comes about in our life, the way that divine favor, happiness, fortune, you know, this is what all these, this word that Jesus is using, this blessing word uh, that, that he's using, that's what it means, divinely favored, happy, fortunate. The way that comes about in our life is when we yearn for things to be made right. What we really hunger for, have a taste for, develop our appetites for in life matters. And so Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. In other words, divinely favored are those who yearn for what is wrong in life to be made right because God ensures that this will be the case. And it's not always going to be the way that we expect. After all, the way that Jesus deals with injustice, the way that Jesus deals with our lack of holiness is very different from how we would normally approach it. But how we develop and think about what's right and wrong and what foundation we place that on matters in order for us to develop the godly wisdom that we need in this respect. For the majority of people who were following Jesus at this time, this teaching of hunger and thirst reminded them was not, that life was not always as it should be. It was true spiritually, for sure, as Jesus is talking about the spiritually, but he's also talking about this politically, economically, socially. The list continues. Anything that you can think of, you know, things are a little bit off. There's a little bit of hole in the pit of our stomach for life to be right where it is wrong. And this is always going to be the case in a world that's broken by sin. While there are certainly better approaches than others, no man-made system is going to account for all the things that are wrong in this world. And chances are, along the way, because we live in a world that's broken, we're going to get a taste for life to be lived in such a way that might seem satisfying in the moment, might seem tasty, you know, at the time, but it might be what's actually causing the problems we wish didn't exist in the first place. And so as Jesus is teaching this, one of the things that for us that have a little bit perspective and not really necessarily being able to, not all of us can, can relate to what it means to be hungry all the time, thirsty all the time. What it means for us is that our appetites need to be managed and disciplined to have a healthy perspective and approach to life. If you've ever dealt with injustice in your life and feel the need for things to be right, Jesus is speaking to you and to me. So much pain, heartache, and anguish are felt over a myriad of issues, and Jesus isn't glossing over them, he isn't dismissing them, but he's saying very specifically, and he's calling it out in this beatitude, that God is going to make things right. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for things to be made right, because God will do it. Blessing, happiness, divine favor, even in the midst of injustice, is not out of reach, because that desire will be fulfilled by the pursuit of what's right in our lives. And this is also true even when we are the perpetrators of what's right, what's not right in our, in our lives. Sometimes it's injustice that we've experienced from others on, onto us. Sometimes it's injustice that we create within our lives because of our sin. Sometimes our own desperation for needing wrongs to be made right comes from the appetites that we've been addicted to, the ones that we, we keep feeding, you know, that's the part of our sin, the brokenness that we experience in our life. But this is not the end of our story. Jesus says, don't worry. Blessed. Even, even if you are in a position where you're desperate for justice, your own, the own wrong that you've created in your life to be fixed, God is going to take care of that. Check out these words from Dallas Willard from The Divine Conspiracy as he writes about this beatitude. 
The kingdom of the heavens has a chemistry that can transform even the past and make the terrible, irretrievable losses that human beings experience seem insignificant in the greatness of God. It restores our soul and fills us with the goodness of rightness. Restoration, redemption, reconciliation, these are the ways in which God fulfills his righteousness in our lives. And following the way of Jesus is what develops our taste for not only what is good for us, but produces the most happiness for us, produces the most good, goodness that God desires for all of us to experience and share with one another. And this developed appetite for what is right leads us to the holiness that God wants to produce within us. Whereas Jesus was including those who were often excluded by everyone else because their life wasn't already right and it wasn't already perfect, how we discipline ourselves to desire what God desires leads to the holiness with which we're meant to approach life. A phrase that I, I often, in the back of my head, and, and I've used in sermons before that I like to use to maintain perspective in this regard is that God cares more about our holiness than our happiness. But I also understand that that can create a pretty toxic misunderstanding of God if there aren't some proper theological assumptions that I make when I have that in my head. For example, we're not that great at judging what makes us happy, and, and that's, why, that's why for me that, that works, um, but we, we get to, do get used to chasing that, that happiness as it, ever, it becomes ever more and more elusive in our life. That shift, shifting to pursuing life in its best and purest form as God created it to be, holiness, this leads to blessing in our lives. And it, let, let me give an example of what I mean. I often give LeBron James a hard time because of his basketball decisions. Now I get to give him a hard time for his movie decisions. Um, Space Jam 2 was terrible. Uh, there, there are a couple cute moments in there. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they're the, like good, like sat down with family, we watched it and stuff. There are definitely some cute, cute moments and stuff like that, but... Come on, man. He's, he's not Michael Jordan. Um, but one of, the thing, one of the things for LeBron James is that I will always give him, always incredibly respect him for, is he is an amazingly gifted basketball player, amazingly gifted mind. If you've ever seen him like talk about basketball, re recount plays and stuff like that, it's amazing. Incredible, incredible athlete. All right? So one of, one of, the, one of the greatest of all time, but we know who the GOAT is. All right? Um, he has a lot of things that we would look at in his life and say he is blessed for it, and we think, oh, he just kind of won, won the physical lottery. You know, he's six foot eight, and he's got these abilities and all that kind of stuff. But did you know that he reportedly spends $1.5 million on his body each year? So on his personal health, his workout, his food, all of those kinds of things, he spends $1.5 million each year on what he calls that investment on his personal health to be in the best possible position to achieve his goals. And I imagine to a certain degree, up to a certain point, as things on earth can make us happy, he's a pretty happy dude. I mean, he's accomplished a ton of stuff in his life. But he arrives at that point by being disciplined, eating and moving and living in ways that will keep him at peak physical condition. And I doubt every purely healthy meal that he eats or every, like, workout that he works out in makes him happy in that moment, but the overarching discipline in his life surely puts him in the best possible position to be able to feel happy, as elusive as some of that might be. 
So perhaps I need to amend that phrase in my head, you know, God doesn't care as much about our happiness as he does about our holiness or his holiness at work in our life. Maybe I need to amend that phrase a little bit to something a little bit more simple uh, to keep myself on track. And here's what I mean when I say that and have said that in the past. It's this. Holiness, God's holiness, godly holiness, leads to actual happiness in our life. The hungering and thirsting for righteousness to be filled is a difficult thing for us with God if we're filling up on everything else in our life. Our appetites can be developed, and they can be changed. I know for me, um, man, sugar. Sugar is where it's at. I've already told you, like, I, I, I like ice cream. I like every, everything that has sugar in it. I have a sweet tooth. There, um, I think somebody brought in donuts for the band this morning. And there were three of them sitting there. I'd already determined this morning, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm going to, I might not eat anything this morning. I drank my water, all that kind of stuff. Came in, there's three boxes of donuts. The first thing I did is go look. And I didn't, like, I kept it at a distance. I didn't, like, lean over and, and breathe it in or any, anything like that. But, but I tell you, I, I have given up sugar for a few months at a time. And I will tell you. Uh, once you have not had like processed refined sugar for a few months and you bite into that first apple, it's one of the best things you have ever tasted in your life. It's amazing how sweet and delicious and taste, tasty that, that is when you realize that you've had something that's been manufactured and processed to kind of make us feel like it's also like the most addicting substance that, that, that exists too, which is why I like it so much. Um, but that makes us feel those things when there's something that's real you know, there that's waiting for us to be, be able to experience, and that's really blocking us from that. And, and so, you know, again, the metaphor is there because Jesus is using that, that because maybe we can, we can, we can relate to, to, to some of those things, but it changes our appetites, change our perspective and our, and our experience of what it looks like to be happy in life and experience the kind of life that God has called us to. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, so Jesus starts this, this off in Matthew chapter 5, but later on in, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus comes back and talks about some hungering and thirsting again. So let me read the, this passage from Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so when Jesus is talking about this, he's talking to people who are in poverty, who need justice in their life. He's talking to people who have everything that maybe have a, have a, have a twisted perspective on what it means to be happy in life as, as he says this. And, and the real question for us as we follow Jesus and as we deal with the world around us, as we see injustice, as we experience it, as we perpetrate it within our lives, is are, are we hungering and thirsting? You know, do we have an appetite for justice and God's glory, for his righteousness, for his holiness 
in our lives? Do we have a taste for that? You know, when we take a spiritual inventory of our life and we see all the things that we consume, you know, if we were to, you know, match up our, you know, consumption of, I don't know, Netflix versus our consumption of being within God's Word, you know, what, what do we have more of an appetite for? What have we become addicted to? And maybe something that's, um, you know, life adjacent that's causing us to miss out on, on actual real life and joy and happiness and divine favor. You know, as we, as, we, uh, as we develop that taste, as we develop that hunger for God's holiness and righteousness in our life, it becomes fuel for the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that is meant to be born out of our lives that causes things to be so much better and so much enjoyable within our relationships, within our communities, uh, within, within our own minds. And this desire to see what's wrong in the world to be made right you know, if there's anything that's worth getting, getting out of bed for, if there's anything worth, you know, really having a hunger for, that, that's it. And so if you're feeling empty in life, if you're feeling hunger for something more, there's that, that hole in your stomach that just can't seem to be filled, seek God's kingdom first. Seek his righteousness first. Reorient your life and you will be filled. So much so that you'll have enough left over to share with other people. And if you have more than what you need, I mean, helped people help help others. You know, those who aren't necessarily in a position where they're like, oh, well, I'm desperate for these things, you know, because God has, I recognize God's rich blessings in my life. Then we're called to, we're called to share that with, with other people. One of the things, one of the reasons why I think people often walk away from being engaged in their faith is because when it comes down to it, we're called to develop a different taste, a different appetite for life than what we might naturally expect or what our society and culture teaches us we should be pursuing in our life. And yet what God offers us is a, a taste and expression of life that is far more delicious, far more satisfying than what is manufactured to mimic the real thing. Righteousness that God calls us to is the condition that's acceptable to God, man and woman as we ought to be. The sense for a desire for the world to be made right, a desire for justice, a desire for the rule of God, and for personal and communal holiness within our lives. Because God promises when we hunger and thirst for his righteousness, God will make right what has gone wrong. So here are, here are our Beatitudes, our, our memory verses uh, for, for the last few, few days. Hopefully you've been working on these. Maybe, maybe not. That's right. Now is a great time to, tr- to start. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Did I get that right? Theirs will be the kingdom of heaven, something like that. Uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, I'm working on it too. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit in the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. God has more than enough, and God is more than enough for each and every one of us. May we, may we pursue him, and may we help others to pursue him as well. Let's pray. God, you know, right now, um, many of us are, are probably in a position to be about, you know, starting to think about what we're going to do for lunch. You know, we're thinking about um, our, our next next things as our service is, is kind of getting to that, that point in time where, where we're moving into communion and we know that we're kind of close to, to the end of our time of worshiping here together. 
And God, uh, you know, having, having an appetite is, is how you've designed us. I mean, that, that's our bodies working properly. We're supposed to, we're supposed to eat. We're supposed to uh, share meals with each other. Um, that's, that's something that's supposed to be a part of, of who we are in, in our community. God, we just ask that you help us to desire the things that um, are the healthiest for us. Are, are the best for our families, the best for our personal lives, the best for uh, the relationships with our friends, that, that we desire uh, the things that not, not, not that just give us a, a quick, you know, sugar rush or, or boost, but things that are actually lasting, things that don't just last for decades here this side of heaven, but things that last for eternity. Help us give a taste for what's right. Help us, get, uh, help us develop a taste for um, what's just, Help us develop a taste for what's holy so that we might experience this blessing that you promise. That even, even at our most destitute, you promised to make sure that we don't have any holes that need to be filled when we are with you. God, we praise you for this. And as we move into this time of, of communion and celebrating Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we thank you for of making this all possible through him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.